Welcome to I Buy That for a Dollar, a podcast about inexpensive, common, and underappreciated records that are waiting to be rediscovered. I'm your host, Sean Hartman, a professional window maker, dedicating my life to letting the sunshine in. <laughs> Beautiful. I'm co-host Jeremy Ruggles, and I'm stuck in a temporal time loop, or I forever ask... What are we doing for the hundredth episode? <laughs> and how long you been in that time loop? What What do you guys say? Uh, Bobby Bryant, dude. Then I say, who is that again? <laughs> <laughs> that, that has happened a few times. At least eight, eighty <laughs> minimum, bare minimum, eighty-eight maybe. Well, we'll get back to that in a moment, but first, I am co-host Peter Cook, creator of a new album called Zydeco Excursions Into Rent. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Picking that baton up and running with it. Uh-huh. <laughs> Future classic right there. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what the heck is going on? The format's all weird this isn't a normal episode everyone's confused what are we doing what's going on intro kept going for way longer uh-huh what well there was some like crazy psychedelic flute sounds going on not <laughs> used to it wasn't ready for that are we about to drop a meta episode bro <laughs> apparently well, for those who don't know, and we, we said it already, this is episode 100 of I'd Buy That for a Dollar, which may be confusing to some of you on certain platforms where it says that this is episode 102. Don't believe it. Don't believe the hype. That's because we've had a couple bonus episodes in there that it counts. Yeah. So as I'm pushing up my glasses, technically... This is our hundredth original non-Patreon exclusive episode. Indeed. And what album have we brought to the table to celebrate this momentous occasion? None other than Bobby Bryant. The Jazz Excursion into Hair. Yeah. Which features our theme song that we use at the top of every episode. There it is. The secret is finally out. The secret that we've alluded to once or twice in passing, but now we're, we're laying it all out there. This is the song that we've been using as our intro music for the entire show. All of season one and all of season two, which shall we drop this now as well? Drop it on them. Let's do it. This is the final episode of season two. True. Then we're gonna we're gonna take a few weeks off because last year we were planning on taking a few weeks off, and took like one off. <laughs> yeah, something, some kind of scheduling things <laughs> happened, and somehow we ended up like not actually having any time off. Yeah, we were more rushed than ever. <laughs> yeah, so we're actually gonna take a couple weeks off. We're going. To, oh, it's it's gonna be a month. Yeah, but we're not just gonna leave y'all out there hanging. We're each going to dig up one of our favorite past episodes, probably going to reach back a ways, so the newer listeners that may have not gone back all the way, we're going to feed you some of the some of the top shelf stuff from the back catalog. Mm -hmm. Yeah, our favorite underappreciated episodes about underappreciated records, both waiting to be rediscovered. Wow. Meta, Sean. <laughs> it's all meta here on this episode. Well, Sean, you're leading the charge, so to speak, on this one. This uh, I am. I this, thought this was a group effort. It, it, <laughs> you, you thought that. So you were you were told going in, but uh, this was your selection. True. I'm looking at a sheet of paper that nowhere on it does it say Bobby Bryant. So I'm very ill prepared. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you going to be talking about on this episode then? Uh. Uh, we'll get Jeremy's to just later. got a bunch of facts about Yanni while the rest of us are going to talk about Bobby Bryant. <laughs> no. Well, do you guys know who Bobby Bryant is? Did, did Peter at least do a little bit of homework? He's a trumpeter. Trumpeteer. Oh. All right, cool. Well, episode's done then. We nailed it. <laughs> He's a master trumpeteer. 
from L.A. Not from L.A., but he, he made a lot of cool stuff in L.A. True, true, true. I'm out of stuff. It's on you now, Sean. <laughs> All right. You want the entirety of the Bobby Bryant bio that I could pull up? Yeah, there's very little. I did actually try and look into it, and there's not a lot of information on it. It's true. He's one of those guys that was really, really good at his instrument and was known for playing his instrument and being one of the best studio musicians that you could get on a record in the L.A. scene. And that's the entirety of what he's known for, from what we can tell. I mean, I'm sure there are probably some great word-of-mouth stories about the legend of Bobby Bryant, but I was not able to discover any of those via the internet. What I was able to ascertain is that Bobby Bryant was born on May 19th, 1934 in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And he moved to Chicago in the early 50s to have an education in music, especially jazz. And started coming up in the scene in the late 50s, moved to New York for a short year in 1960, and then moved to L.A. in 1961, where he spent the remainder of his life and became known as one of the best trumpet players on the scene and definitely an A-list session musician primarily within the big band world. He was very, very comfortable in that setting and was also very skilled at arrangements and writing for a big band jazz setting. His most famous solo on another person's recording is the Nat King Cole mega hit L-O-V-E. Love it. Love it. You guys know that song? L is for the way you look. That one? That's the one, and when you listen to it again on the playlist and you hear that sick trumpet solo, that's our boy Bobby. True. Highly memorable solo. It's a good one. So Bobby only was the leader on four different sessions. There's the two records he put out in 1969, Earth Dance, and this one, The Jazz Excursion into Hair, both on the World Pacific Jazz label. Then he did a session one year later in 1970 for the Cadet label, which we've talked about multiple times. That record is called Swahili Strut. And then he did one final record as a leader in 1974 for the A World of Jazz label, and that is called Big Band Blues. Listening to a few of those records, I was surprised that they almost all seemed like soul jazz to me. When I heard Big Band, I, I expected a different sound than I got. Yeah, his stuff as a leader is definitely firmly in the soul jazz realm, which I think a lot of soul jazz works best when you have guys with big band experience because they're able to lend that kind of cinematic sound to it much better. And this record is a perfect example of that. And we can get into some of the players that are on it as well and why it was kind of the perfect blend of soul jazz, jazz funk and big band sensibilities. Real quick, I have a list of some notable records that Bobby Bryant played on as a sideman, though. He's on Mingus at Monterey, B.B. King's L.A. Midnight, Carol King's Rhymes and Reasons, The Blackbird's Flying Start, Oliver Nelson's Skull Session, which is currently one of my Holy Grail albums that I've been looking for. It's not too rare, but haven't found a copy yet. He's also on Harvey Mason's Marching in the Street, the Grease soundtrack. Uh, the Gap Band's self-titled record from 1979, The Crusaders' Street Life, Earth, Wind, and Fire, I Am, and David Axelrod's Strange Ladies, among many other incredible albums. He's on Street Life. Yep. I failed to note that when we covered that album. <laughs> there were a lot of players on that, though. Yeah, quite a few players. I couldn't actually <laughs> tell you like which songs he was on or like which sections or anything, but he is credited as being on that record wow so the theme song that plays at the top of every episode that is let the sun shine in correct true and it's interesting that you know it's a song with a fairly recognizable melody but you don't get that melody until after the section that we use as an intro so no one could even like pick that out and be like oh this is a you know they're they're doing a song from hair yeah yeah very clever very cleverly wedged in to our episodes. 
Yeah, you know the the intro, like the the brass arrangements in the intro, actually kind of remind me slightly of like Ethiopian jazz, like stuff that was happening mm. uh, a little bit before this in that scene. I don't know if either of you guys have listened to much of that stuff. It, well, now that you say that, I I can hear that. Yeah, just... that, that was that was part of what interested me in this album and the this song in particular. But I suppose we could talk real quick about why this has been our intro music for so long what is what is the significance of it do tell sean so we started this podcast just three bright-eyed boys with a dream to one day talk about records every week underappreciated hidden gems of the dollar bins and we're getting ready putting together details and jeremy tasked me with finding an instrumental song that we could use as the intro. Jeremy, do you remember what your uh, your qualifications were? What you wanted me to find in a song? That's I was trying to remember what I told you. I, I think it was like up-tempo, and it's got to start with like a bass kind of thumping it, thumping in the, the groove. I, yeah, I don't remember exactly. I know I gave you like a handful of specifications. Yeah, it was something, I, I think a part of it was like you wanted to start with like one or two instruments and then build into a brass section, something like that. And I was trying to think of what that could be. And my first step was to go to my stack of recent purchases. And this record was something that I had just picked up at a flea market maybe a month before that. And I realized that I also, at the same time, picked up a copy of Dr. John's In the Right Place and the Chet Atkins and Jerry Reed Me and Jerry record, which we've, we've mentioned one or possibly both of those before. But I was like, oh, this Bobby Bryant record might have something on. Put the record on, played for you through a few tracks, and then, uh, you know, when it, got, when it came to Let the Sun Shine in, I was like, I think... I think this is perfect. Like the first record I pulled out to see if I could find something had this track and it just, you know, all three of us were instantly like, yeah, that's, that's the, the theme music and checked every box right out of the gate. I think it's a great theme song. It really sets the tone for the show. So I will award you another gold star. Well, I think this is your first gold star. Jeremy has one. Now you have one too, Sean. Ooh, I'm in the, the rarefied air now. <laughs> or tied. Uh, I also note that I did buy this for $5 or less. I think it was actually $5, but this does fit the show criteria. This is a record you could find in a dollar bin. Well, of course. We, we can't use a theme from that breaks our own rules. That would be insane. <laughs> that would be we would have gotten called out a long time ago if we were using some like some holy grail deep cut rare vinyl for a podcast talking about dollar bin gems <laughs> give them some more hair you guys want to hear another track how about the actual song hair side a track four
confession time. I am aware of hair. I know songs from it, but I don't really know what hair is about. I don't either. <laughs> I don't have the slightest <laughs> clue. I know it's like something with the hippies or something, and that's... The extent I know is that it's something with the hippies and people were naked on stage. <laughs> I didn't even know people were naked. All right, naked. well, since since we're in confession time, I'm the one that bought this record, and I know exactly about as much as as Peter and Jeremy when it comes to the source material. <laughs> Dang, maybe in our time off we should group watch uh, some performance of Hair somehow. I need to be cultured. Do you guys remember which female singer we covered who got her start as a cast member of hair was it donna summer it was that was one of them there might be multiple i was gonna say that's not the one i was thinking of so if it's donna summer as well then which two female singers (laughs) i'm trying to think who else uh who else was i know that it's come up hair has come up a lot on the podcast it was clearly a cultural phenomenon but diana ross no, she was she was well established by the time yeah. hair came around. <laughs> yeah. The artist I'm thinking of is Melba Moore. Oh yeah, yep, totally, yep, Melba as well. So yeah, we, both Donna Summer and Melba Moore. One thing that I think is kind of beautiful about this record, aside from the music being really good and there's some amazing players on it, is that there is a lot of associations and few degrees of separation from many artists that we've covered on the show and just other things that we've talked about. So it, it's very fitting in, in many ways to be our season two closer and episode 100 selection. That was a real banger there too. Yeah. And I think that one does a really good job of showcasing the big band sensibility and the jazz funk. They, they do a great job of like bringing in the full brass section for these big parts and then stripping it back down for some like really funky bass and drum driven parts. The arrangement is really, really good on this record. And I think that's actually a pretty good segue into talking about some of the players on this album, if you guys want to get into that now. Yeah, we're making these sounds. There's a crusader on this album. When I when I purchased this record, Bobby Bryant was not a player I was familiar with. I assumed incorrectly at the time that he must be related to the pianist Ray Bryant, who is does similar music to this and is another dollar bin artist that I really like collecting. They're not related though. And I've also not seen hair. So the reasons I bought this record is one, the album cover is really dope. It's got like the the picture of like the band and some other hippie looking people posing on a hilltop and the color scheme is cool. And it's got some like hippie psychedelic font going on just, you know, instantly Flipping through, pulled that out. I was like, ooh, this is interesting. Turned the record around, noticed a few names like Joe Sample, Wilton Felder from the, the Crusaders, Paul Humphrey, a drummer that I really like. And the number one reason why I instantly bought this record was the guitar player, Freddie Robinson, who I have I believe I've mentioned at least a few times on the show being one of my absolute favorite session players and one of those guys that if he's on the record, you can pretty much just buy it. Pretty sure you mean Abu Talib. <laughs> I do mean that. He changed his name. Did he stick with that name change? I thought he switched it for a few years and then went back to Freddie Robinson, but I could be wrong. Oh, my understanding is he converted to Nation of Islam and changed his name, and I was unaware of any change back, but... Well, there you go. It's, it's one of the two. 100 episodes in and our research is solid. Yeah. <laughs> flawless research well all right let's talk about some of the players this record is you know a session led by bobby bryant who is playing trumpet and flugelhorn and then it is arranged and conducted by a guy by the name of shorty rogers who is another player that is frequently found in the dollar bin um i think the only record of his that i own as a leader is the his christmas record the where he does like big band jazz versions of the nutcracker That sounds horrible. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. I don't like the Nutcracker. It's it's Christmas jazz. My standards are pretty low when it comes to that. Valid. So he was, Shorty Rogers was a very respected name in the world of big band jazz, trumpet player. And around this point in his career, in the mid to late 60s, he was kind of redefining himself as 
a hit maker, a producer and arranger. And he had recently been working with two artists that we've also talked about many times, Bobby Gentry and the Monkees. He's actually the arranger and producer for the album, The Birds, The Bees, and The Monkees, which means that he arranged the mega hit Daydream Believer. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's a solid arrangement right there. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a great record all the way through. And the Bobby Gentry stuff he was doing around this time, he, he worked on the record Local Gentry, which is definitely a favorite of mine. So yeah, a, a guy, once again, bringing in big band sensibility, but also bringing in newer pop and country influences to this, which really lends itself well for the kind of melting pot of styles that's going on in this record. There's jazz, there's funk, there's psychedelic sounds, there's pop music, kind of covers all the bases. Next up in the lineup, we have Bud Shank on flute. He's the one doing those psychedelic, uh, echoed out flute solos shortly after the normal intro that we use. He actually was close friends with Shorty Rogers, which is probably a big reason why he's on this record. They went to college together and Bud Shank later formed a group called the LA four, which was kind of a, a pretty cool fusion jazz super group in the late seventies that you can find here and there. A couple of notable records that Bud was on. He played on Boz Skaggs' Silk Degrees, Joni Mitchell's The Hissing of Summer Lawns. Oh, yeah. Another player who was on Oliver Nelson's Skull Session. He also played on a handful of different Beaver and Krauss records, but specifically their album All Good Men, which I guarantee will be one of my selections for season three. <laughs> yeah. And then he was also on a handful of records right around this time with the Mystic Moods Orchestra one of the coolest Ooh. dollar bin cheese groups that I have referenced a handful of times throughout this throughout the podcast. Beaver and Krauss was one of our early finds in the project at the record store that led to this podcast. Mm-hmm. Beaver and Krauss, Godly and Cream. All the classic duos. Classics. <laughs> so Bobby Bryan is like the central node to which our past and future go. Exactly. And our present right now. Meta episode to the extreme. How meta. Next up in the featured soloist on this record, we have the great Ernie Watts on tenor saxophone, who this is like a little bit earlier on in his career. He went on to play on a lot of amazing records. And you guys want to hear another list of albums that he played on? Just drop a list. Here's the just list. List after list. It's just this is just a meta list episode right here. List listomania. <laughs> so he's on, I think, like four or five different David Axelrod records. Notably, he is on the early classic Earth Rot. He's also on David T. Walker's album Press On, which is another album that I fully intend on covering next season. And then he is on a, a touchstone monumental soul record that we have also mentioned several times. He played on Marvin Gaye's Let's Get It On. He is uh, one of, I, I think, like two or three players on this record that was on that Marvin Gaye record. Mm. He's also on a couple Steely Dan records. Hug. One of them being Countdown to Ecstasy. He's on the Blackbird's Flying Start. Also on Harvey Mason's Marching in the Street. He played on Alice Coltrane's Eternity. He played on Carol King's Wrap Around Joy. Woo. He played on Ramsey Lewis's Tequila Mockingbird. He also played on the Grease soundtrack. And he played on a record that we nearly featured on the show once, Quincy Jones' The Dude. Oh, yeah. And then you couldn't, you realized that you didn't actually own a copy. You would just always listen to ones at the record store, correct? Is that <laughs> yeah, what exactly. Like one of like three albums that I did that with. <laughs> I was, I finally checked that album out and I knew several songs on it like there were big hits on that album mm -hmm. i mean not that i wouldn't wouldn't expect they were just i didn't know they were quincy jones right quincy's got a lot of material like that he's he's one of those dudes that you know a lot of people know how influential he was but chances are no matter how in how high regard you hold him he's more influential than you even realize is kind of the thing that i i learned about quincy I already knew he was really influential. <laughs> and yet, yeah, like you said, I'm like, wait, his own music. I know too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I knew him as this very important producer. Yep. 
legend. It's still going too. And then, as I mentioned, you've got two members of the Crusaders on here, which continues the theory that if it's, well, I don't know if I've actually stated this theory, but I have a working theory that if a record has more than one member of the Crusaders on it, there's no way it can be bad. In those numbers, they just guarantee quality. Yeah. And I mean, when you got Joe Sample and Wilson Felder holding down the electric piano and bass respectively, you know you're in for a winner of a record. And this album is proof, further proof. All right, next up, we have the aforementioned Freddie Robinson on guitar. He's playing all of the electric guitar parts, including those hot improvised licks at the beginning of our famous intro. Not a dollar bin record, but if you ever come across any of his albums as a leader, but specifically his album, The Coming Atlantis, which also came out in 1969 on the World Pacific Jazz label, that is one of the all-time great jazz funk guitar records, in my humble opinion. He was also a frequent collaborator with the artists Monk Higgins, Gene Harris and the Three Sounds, Blue Mitchell, John Mayall, Howlin' Wolf, Ray Charles, and Jerry Butler. Ooh. And then we have next up Bobby Brookmeyer playing the valve trombone. He was a prolific instrumentalist and arranger. Nominated for a Grammy nine separate times, even though he never seemed to win one. And he is best known for his extensive work with the the jazz great Jerry Mulligan. The valve trombone, huh? Yeah, kind of a unique instrument. And he was on a lot of records, partly probably because there wasn't a lot of competition in the valve trombone world. But a brilliant, notable player with an extensive catalog of material. Last up on the featured soloist, we have the drummer Paul Humphrey, who is one of the great unsung drummers coming out of the Detroit scene, notable for being equally skilled at both jazz and funk music. And he got his got his big break, got his start playing on a lot of records with Les McCann, who we talked about on an episode before. Oh yeah. Les McCann and Eddie Harris. Yep. He's not on that record, but he's on a bunch of stuff with Les McCann as the, the leader. Mm-hmm. Quick list of records featuring Paul Humphrey on drums. He's on a few tracks on Frank Zappa's Hot Rats. He's on both of Mary Clayton's records, Gimme Shelter and Self-Titled. He's on the Four Tops, Keeper of the Castle, Steely Dan's Asia. He's the one playing the funky drum intro on the first track, Black Cow, on that record. He's also on Marvin Gaye's Let's Get It On. Afrique's Soul Makosa, and several Quincy Jones records, including the classic album Smackwater Jack. And then in the later 70s, he became the house drummer for the Lawrence Welk Show. <laughs> Weird turn. Yeah. yeah, which, you know, I haven't gone through to find if there's any like hidden gems in the, the Lawrence Welk world, but I have gotten tips from other collectors that there is some good stuff, because despite Lawrence Welk being you know, one of the all-time cheeseball jazz guys. He had very good taste in his players and was notable for bringing in a lot of amazing up-and-coming talent and helping facilitate their career, much the same way that Herbie Mann was notable for that. Pop quiz related to something you said in there, Sean. Who is the bassist on the opening track of Hot Rats, Peaches and Regalia? Ooh, I don't know that. What's the answer? A 15-year-old Shuggy Otis. Whoa. <laughs> That's awesome. I did, I did not know that at all. Yeah. It's wild. You want to give the people some more audio content? Yeah. Real quick, though, I'm just going to read the list of players in the full brass section. No album list, though. This, we got uh, Charles Loper on trombone, Mike Wimberly on bass trombone, and then we have five extra trumpeters, Freddie Hill, Buddy Childers, Ronald Jones, Paul Hubanon, and Bill Peterson. And with that, let's hear another song. What do you got for us? We're going to flip the record over here, play side B, track two, Aquarius. The Age of Aquarius.
another excellent track on this album, but I gotta say, Wilton Felder is really the one elevating that the most. Those bass lines are just untouchable. Yeah, bass jumped right out at me. This whole album, the drums and bass, like, I know they tried really hard with all the horns, and there's some cool guitar playing, but the drums and the bass really are what shine this whole album for me. Yeah, it just makes everything work better, too. But yeah, that rhythm section, holding it down, that's what really turns this from a good record to a great record. It kind of sounded like a, a funkier Herb Alpert rendition of that song. Oh, totally. Yeah. That uh, kind of pop jazz crossover, doing a lot of covers of popular songs from the era. Mm-hmm. It also reminds me a lot of the stuff that Ramsey Lewis was doing around this time as well. Yeah, true. I just stole Jeremy's line. (laughs) True. True. (laughs) Well, that's all my notes about the players on this record. You made a playlist though, right? I did make a playlist. Do you want to hear about it? Let's do that. Let's hear about it. Jeremy seems awfully interested for a guy who's never listened to a single one of the playlists that I've made. (laughs) Still holding that against me, are you? Yeah, up until you decide to listen to one, then I'll shut up about it. Okay. Well, I, I don't want to give that to you yet, so... Okay. The, uh, the real secret is that Jeremy Sean has never listened to a single episode that you've mixed of the show. <laughs> <laughs> Not true. I've listened to nearly all of them. Wow, really? Oh, I yeah. I haven't even listened to all of them. <laughs> well, I guess I listened to them all, but... Yeah, I mean, you were present. <laughs> Once they're complete, you don't necessarily want to go back and <laughs> revisit them. <laughs> yeah, once they're fully done and I've mixed them, there's been like four that I've like gone back and listened to the whole episode. I would say I've listened to at least like 80-90% of the episodes, like gone back and played the whole thing after recording. What I want to know is what percentage of these episodes has Peter listened to more than once? One hundred percent. I don't think there's a. <laughs> wow. I don't think there's a single episode that I've only listened to once. It's wow. dedication. I would say each one I've probably listened to at least three times all the way through. Wow, Peter's our biggest fan. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> he's our biggest fan and our natural head of quality control. True. Yeah, big reason is just making sure everything's just so. Everything must be just so. Mm-hmm. Just that's so. That's why we sound so good, though. It's on. That's. I'm gonna put some of that on your shoulders, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> it's a collaborative effort. I, I appreciate that, Jeremy. So uh, about this playlist, though. Yeah, you make playlists <laughs> or something. I guess I don't. This I don't uh, so this record we're talking about is not on Spotify. Uh, so there are no extra tracks from this album. There are two albums from. Bobby Bryant's earlier Chicago years, some more of the like more straight ahead jazz sounds from when he was coming up. And they also put just a bunch of tracks from the albums that we mentioned on the list of players. So you're going to hear, you can hear Nat King Cole's L O V E for anyone that's unfamiliar with it or wants a refresher. There's a Carol King track from the rhymes and reasons album track from blackbirds flying start track. The title track from Oliver Oliver Nelson's Skull Session, Harvey Mason's on there, The Gap Band, The Crusaders, Earth, Wind, and Fire, David Axelrod, The Monkees, Boz Skaggs, Mystic Moods Orchestra, David T. Walker, Marvin Gaye, Ramsey Lewis, The Jazz Crusaders, Monk Higgins, The Three Sounds, Jerry Butler, Mary Clayton, Four Tops, Joe Sample, Herbie Hancock, Clark Terry, and so much more. You can find that all on Spotify. Just search I'd Buy That Podcast, all one word, to find this and every other season two playlist and in the future our season three playlist, assuming I keep doing this, you know, if anyone out there is listening aside from Jeremy. Dang. Wow. You're just twisting the knife now. Just twisting. (laughs) I will not let this go. If you're not going to let it go, then neither will I. Yep, I'm going to dig my heels in even harder now. (laughs) So, we started a thing at the end of season one, where each of us went back and named our top five favorite episodes from the previous season, with the criteria that it has to be an episode that we 
did not personally host, although I believe we've slightly changed the criteria this year to include episodes that we co-hosted with a guest. Yeah, that's my understanding. So we, because we did things a little differently with our guests in in season two. We did have quite a few guests. We will thank all of them by name at some point. Indeed. All right, who wants to go first with their top five list? I'll do it. I'll do it. Do I'll it. come out of the gate strong here. I should, uh, do you want them in like one to five order? You just want five episodes? I organize mine in one to five, but I was not going to require that if you guys. Ooh. I will say that I, I can't remember, I believe this was a criteria when we did this last year and I stuck with it is that I, ones that, albums that I was already familiar with, I did not include on this list. All right. I'll put number, at number five, I'll put the one that I was kind of familiar with already. But Buzzy Linhart, that episode, that one, Darko came on and guest hosted. That one actually stuck out to me because at the end of the episode, he freestyles a song he made for Buzzy Linhart because he is a hardcore Buzzy fan. And that was one of the, honestly, one of the more special moments on the whole show in my mind. So I, I agree. I mean, he, you can kind of hear him choking up a little bit too. There was some genuine emotion going on when he delivered that. I thought that was a beautiful moment. So I'm glad it wasn't just me. <laughs> not to pedantically ruin that, but it was not a freestyle. <laughs> Oh, true. It was pre-written. <laughs> but it was it was very moving. Yeah, so I had to include that one. We'll call that number five. Number four, we'll say Kid Creel and the Coconuts with guest host Lauren Ram. Yeah. The- and I just liked how different that record was and was pretty blown away that it's a dollar bin thing because... I don't know. It has a lot in common with records that are worth a lot more. I know. I was almost afraid once I found out how good that record was that we were letting the cat out of the bag on that one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Because it was like, this really shouldn't be a bargain bin record. Yeah. And we had two members of the band actually comment on that episode. Yeah. That's cool, too. Very cool. Uh, Number three, we're going to go with Chester and Lester. Just because, well, Chris Brokaw was the guest host there. I was familiar with that record, but only in like having heard it. And it was really enjoyable for me to find out. For some reason in my mind, Chet Atkins and Les Paul were like of the same generation. I didn't realize there was a generation gap between them. Mm-hmm. And I had always had them like flip-flopped in my mind. I thought the kind of looser, crazier guitar was Chet Atkins, but I had it backwards. So that was all uh, enjoyable for me to get set straight on. Kind of helped you view the record through a new lens. Yeah. Yeah, as our episodes often do for people. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I also, number two, the environments record Sean brought. That was a nice curveball. And uh, I just thought Sean did a good job throwing a curveball that didn't fall into novelty and was actually interesting. Yeah, when I selected that, my first thought was like, oh, this will just be like a fun, novelty, short, goofy episode. And then, as has happened many times on this, the more research I did, I was like, there is just, there's a whole story going on here. This is amazing. (laughs) Yeah, and it's a fascinating story. Mm Mm-hmm. And number one belongs to co-host peter harold garner Ooh, that was my number one on the year very cool for this season just because i didn't know anything about him and now he's one of my top piano dudes that i like so when you find someone who you actually really like that's awesome it's a hard record to deny yeah that one's probably my top runner up only because i was pretty familiar with that record beforehand, but I will say that Peter's information on there and some of the research I did myself really just went from me appreciating that record to completely respecting Errol Garner on a whole other level aside from loving that record. So yeah, great episode, Peter. Well, thank you. All right. That's my five. All right. Who's going next? I'll go next. All right. 
Uh, I didn't have these in any order, but I'll see if I can't arrange them here as I go. So at number five, I'm going to put Ema Sumac because that was a record that I was not very familiar with prior to us featuring it. And I thought Jeremy did a great job with uh, covering a pretty complex artist and topic. Why, thank you. And, you know, then when I realized the uh, connection of one of the songs having been used in The Big Lebowski, it's just like, wow, this is like right there in front of people yet. No one knows, well, not no one, but a lot of people are unfamiliar with it. So I thought that was very appropriate for our podcast. And I think our oldest one to date still, right? Yeah, it's right up there with the the Ravel one. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, right, in the, right around the same time period. Uh, number four, I'm going to put Buzzy Linhart. I thought that was a... I, that was Buzzy's another one that you know you guys had talked about him a few times. I wasn't really familiar with him, um, and then you know Darko's enthusiasm, culminating in him reciting that piece he had written on Buzzy, just really made for a, a memorable episode. Great album. So yeah, that's my number four. Number three, I'm gonna put Tiny Tim's second album, which uh, we had Chris Connolly guest on that one and i thought uh, sean you did a great amount of research for that yourself uh that another one that was very complex yeah sean and i watched a bad documentary together just to learn more about it and chris was just uh i thought a wonderful guest and what an album to have chosen you know that's an artist that you know like people know but don't know so that's why I would place that at number three for the season. Yeah, that one I was uh, I was probably more nervous for that episode than many others I'd done just because, uh, yeah, there was so much research to be done and it was one of those things where I, I felt like I came out of it maybe more confused than when I had started. And also we had like a very high profile guest, so I just like, I didn't know what to think of it going in, but it ended up working out really well. Yeah. No, I, I understand that was not a, there were multiple facets going into that episode that uh, made it a little more intimidating than I think some of our other uh, subjects and, and, you know, between you and Chris run it, co-running things, slam dunk. <laughs> right on. There's a basketball analogy for Jeremy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> going deep on the slam dunk there. Huh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> as far as basketball references go. Wouldn't a three-pointer be better? True. It is worth another point than a dunk. <laughs> uh, number two, Chico Buarque. Chico. That's uh, another artist that I was essentially unfamiliar with. Very important. Jeremy, great job on that one. I made the list twice. I, that's like me slam dunking. I posterized you, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> That's another. That's a deeper basketball term because I slam dunked right in your face, and they made a poster out of it. <laughs> so here I go. That takes us to number one. Number one, Lauren Ram, Tropical Gangsters, Kid Creole, and the Coconuts. Yeah, I co I co-hosted that one, but I didn't know anything about that one prior to us. Uh, you know, to her suggesting that. And I just was absolutely blown away that it was an album that I was, had never really recalled hearing anyone talk about. And I thought she did a great job. So I really, I really loved that episode. I thought it was a fun record. And so that is my list. I, I was very torn. Sean environments was right up there. Mm. It's like honorable mention that environments two record was, uh, fantastic cool yeah that was a real fun one and if, and if anyone's going back to revisit that and hasn't listened to the other episodes i th- I thought of that one as kind of a 
a spiritual sequel or pairing with the Martin Denny episode. So if anybody out there hasn't heard either or both of those, check them out at the same time. That was like the runner up to environments for me was the Martin Denny one. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's tough to, when, you know, when you have like about 50 or nearly 50 episodes to pick from. And uh, I'll say Lauren was a great guest too. We need to have her back. Lauren, if you're listening, let us know what the next next record is you want to cover. Hit us up. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Season three appearance is definitely happening. All right. Y'all ready for my list? Bring it. Man, the list of files out there are going to love this episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this episode is dripping with lists. It's got that list drip. All right. Number five, Mahalia Jackson. Newport 1958 only lower on the list because I was pretty familiar with that artist and record beforehand, but I thought Peter did an excellent job. I was so fine. I was so happy to finally give an artist of that stature her due on the podcast. And, you know, it was a record that I'd probably heard maybe once or twice before. So it was really nice to spend extra time with it and give it a deep dive because that is an album that just is very rewarding to full attention and multiple listens. Yeah. Next up is also the Ima Sumac record, Voice of the Hatabe. Again, lower on the list because I was familiar with it already, but such a fascinating story, such a cool person, and I thought Jeremy just knocked it out of the park with that one. Aw, that's a baseball reference. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll run with it. Switching it up. Number three is Frank Sinatra's Watertown. Nice. Yeah, that's a hard one to deny, too. Mm-hmm. That episode was fun. One of my favorite guests that we've had on the show. And again, Ryan you know. Warner. Yes. Familiar with Frank Sinatra, but was not familiar with that record and was very pleasantly surprised with how much I liked it. And I just thought that the, the tone of the episode was really great. There was some cool insights that happened later in the episode, and that was one of the more fun ones to listen back to, I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ryan has a way of doing that. So, top two, both of these are albums that I had never heard before, but were just so perfectly up my alley, and I thought the episodes were great. Number two, Quicksilver Messenger Service, Quicksilver. Woo! That one was just off of my list. Mm. I don't know why, but I was uh, thinking that that was going to be something I brought that I was really into, that you guys were kind of iffy on, and I was pleasantly surprised that you were both really into it you know they're one of those bands that i had just never heard anything yet that really stood out to me and i kind of had had it in my head for a while that they probably had some good material and i wanted to figure it out and then here comes my good buddy peter cook with the the late period hit from them <laughs> with those just amazing pop songs with a little bit of country influence it was just so perfectly up my alley and I'm still looking for my own copy but i play that you know on streaming services from time to time and have put it on put selections from there on a few playlists throughout the season very cool which brings us to number one vincent bell airport love theme that was that was a good one james duke yeah james duke did such a good job with all of his extensive research on that i feel like he could have done a whole part two of like a second episode of all the rest of his notes. He was very, very over-researched for it, but it it worked out well. And, you know, I'm a guy who loves overlooked session guitarists, and that was someone that was somehow completely off my radar. And ever since doing that episode, there's been so many times where I'll be listening to a song and be like, oh shit, that's got to be Vincent Bell playing guitar, that signature watery sound going on there. I've heard songs that like sampled some of his guitar playing and just like other pop tracks where it'll just be like that, that shimmering watery guitar guitar that'll just pop up for a second and you know, it's Vincent. So that, that one has been really cool. I haven't found that record yet either. I found some other Vincent Bell stuff, but I'm, I'm looking for that one. Very cool. Well, that uh, concludes all of our top five list. I'll just go ahead and say, I think, uh, I didn't even entertain the idea of including it because I was way too familiar with the uh, the album going in. 
and I like the album, but it, uh, the Hall and Oates episode I thought uh, with Jake Watkins as, as guest was a really fun one. True. <laughs> a really fun one. That one was cool. To. I enjoyed that. <laughs> so, yeah, we did have a lot of guests in season two. We're going to give all of them a quick shout out. So thank you very much to Greg Kaz, Wes Wheat, Darko the Super, Lauren Ram, Dustin. Krasadovich? Did I say it right, Sean? I think so. <laughs> Ryan Werner, Trevor Coleman, Taylor Rowley, Ben Perani, James Duke, Andrew Dreas Christopoulos, Jacob Selner, Bob Bucko Jr., Chris Connolly, Liara Haas, Jake Watkins, Chris Brokaw, and Mark Weathersby, a.k.a. DJ Mahogany. Thank you all. And a few of those people guested multiple times. So really helps uh, bolster the episodes having uh, all the expertise come in and weigh in and, you know, introduce us to stuff we're not familiar with. too. Mm -hmm. True. And to our listeners, if you've got a favorite guest that you want to hear us bring back on more, let us know and we'll, uh, you know, we'll hit them up. True. It's great to get some outside perspective. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, if it was always just the three of us here uh, yakking it up, I don't know if we'd uh, retain the listener's attention. True. (laughs) We do our best, but we're just three white Midwestern boys doing what we can out here. Former Midwestern boy for me. You're still Midwestern at heart, Sean. Eh, Not for long. (laughs) Your driving may have changed, but your heart is still... Uh, intact <laughs> we'll see so uh yeah we're That's gonna it. we're gonna repost some old episodes and record some new intros for them and that'll be during our downtime and then i believe we're gonna be doing our big uh patreon subscriber push coming up soon i don't know if peter you yeah. want to talk too much about that yet we don't have all of our details figured out but correct but we will be back with uh, season three on Tuesday, October fifth, and you know, we'll like uh, we said in the downtime, you're going to be getting some classic episodes selected by us, and uh, I, th- I believe there'll be a you know. More... I think we're going to unlock a Patreon episode. Exactly. So you yeah. Get a peek behind the curtain if you're not behind the curtain already. Yeah, we're we're going to be. Pushing that patreon.com slash I'd buy that podcast to kick off season three. But more info to come on that. We really appreciate all the love and support throughout season two. Yeah. Without listeners out there commenting and, you know, even listening. I mean, we love the feedback. We love if you're even bothering to listen. It really does give us a reason to keep doing this you know we have patreons out there who help us pay the bills to keep this going but we're not making money off this (laughs) we do this as a labor of love and you know sharing in that conversation and love with you listeners is really is the reason we're doing this agreed keeps me learning keeps you know me into my 40s finding out more music i think it's time to get out of here sean what are we uh what's our last selection of season two from mr bobby bryant we're gonna play side two track three where do i go see y'all on the other side i'm co-host jeremy ruggles i'm co-host sean hartman and i'm co-host peter cook Where do we go from here?